Hello, my beautiful audience, and welcome back to Pass the Time Podcast. You're here with me, AJ Wozniczewski, and of course, we have a very special show for you, like always. But this one's a little extra special, you might say, because we're going to be going on an adventure. Ooh, what kind of adventure, you ask? Let me tell you. We're going on a zombie apocalypse adventure. Because I have the book, Can You Survive the Zombie Apocalypse, by Max Bralier. I think it's Bralier or Bralier. I don't know. Probably butchering his name, but whatever. This book is a choose-your-own-adventure book, but it's 100% zombie, so you're just trying to survive in this zombie apocalypse wasteland. And I've read through a bunch of the scenarios before, and they're all pretty great. Like, we could end up at Comic-Con, we could end up joining a biker gang, we could end up scaling the Statue of Liberty. So many fucking scenarios, I'm so excited to read. But... I don't know how to get to every scenario. I forget how to get to each one, so I'm going to be in for just as much a surprise as you guys, and there might be a couple that I've never even tried before, so this is going to be a lot of fun for me. Hopefully you guys enjoy it too, but like I said, if we die really quick, I'll read a creepypasta to at least satisfy your urge for horror fiction. But before we start our adventure, I think it's time for our horror fix. So to kick off our horror fix, um, I don't know if you guys have seen the trailer for this yet, but Fallout 4 has been announced, and a trailer's been released, and I am so excited, it is insane. I mean, Fallout 3 could be one of my favorite games of all time. I just remember finding the ray gun in like a crashed crashed spaceship, and just losing my mind because I could finally kill those goddamn fucking raptor-like things. I don't even remember what they're called. They just haunted my dreams and made me not even want to play Fallout, but I had to play it had to beat it. It was just so damn good. So I really want to play this game. But the trailer kind of let me down a little bit. I mean, it didn't seem like such a great game, and it definitely did not seem next-gen. I mean, there's a dog walking around that looks like PS3 graphics, like bad PS3 graphics. They don't look very good, but I'm I'm assuming they are going to have much better graphics for the game, even if it is a giant giant world like in Grand Theft Auto you have this amazingly huge map which I assume there'll be something like that in Fallout I don't know if if there's not if they just suck the bag and don't do anything I'll be pretty pissed but there's there hasn't been like a real release date yet there's a tentative release date as um, December 31st 2015 on Amazon but that day is normally used as kind of a placeholder um, for games that don't have an official release date but it is a sign that the game could come out in 2015, which would be amazing. But I'd rather them take their time and just kind of give us an amazing product that I enjoy playing. Because Fallout 3, one of the best games ever. Fallout New Vegas just seemed like an expansion pack for Fallout 3. So I want some new shit, some crazy shit, and hopefully some next-gen graphics. In other news, Bart Simpson is getting killed off of The Simpsons. That's right, I said it. In the new Treehouse of Horror that's coming out this October, or hopefully October, sometimes they release it like November, and you're like, what the fuck, I don't even want to watch this now. But Bart is supposedly going to be killed by Sideshow Bob. The producers revealed this at an ATX event in uh, Austin, uh, some kind of festival. But um, Al Jean said that he was always frustrated that the coyote never caught the Roadrunner in those old Looney Tunes episodes, so that's why they're doing it. Letting the coyote catch the goddamn Roadrunner. So it'll be cool to see, but I guess you guys don't have to worry because Bart, although he's being killed off, he'll be in further installments of episodes, which 
this uh, makes this announcement kind of fucking dumb, right? But I was told that uh, Bart was getting killed off for good, and so my head was spinning. Even though I don't watch The Simpsons anymore, I don't want the show to die because I love the Treehouse of Horror episodes every Halloween. I still watch those. And I watch the occasional new episode of The Simpsons, and it's actually still pretty good, surprisingly. I always thought it uh, really dipped around 2006, and that's when I stopped watching it completely. But I've watched some episodes from 2010, some of the newer ones, and I'm really enjoying it again. So I think I'm going to start it from the beginning and kind of make my way through. But I'm getting off topic here. The news was someone told me Bart was dying and he's going to be off the show, so kind of freaking out, and then I found out it was for one episode, Trials of Horror, found a bunch of articles about it, which is kind of dumb because the characters die in a lot of the Treehouse of Horror episodes, at least in the little skits at the beginning and stuff, and they're always back, so there doesn't seem to be a need for an announcement, they just kind of ruin the episode, which is what I just did for you guys, awesome, late spoiler alert. Sorry about that, but at least it only ruins one of the three short stories that they normally tell in every Treehouse of Horror episode, so there's two more I can ruin for you. Great. Great news. But also some awesome uh, news that's not really news at all. It's just what I just found out, that uh, The Simpsons actually has graphic novels of their Treehouse of Horror episodes, including some that weren't made in episodes and stuff, so... I think that's amazing. I bought one of them on uh, indigo.ca recently. It only cost me about 15 bucks, and I am just so psyched to read this. So I'll probably read it uh, and then rate and review it for maybe next episode. We'll see. But there's about five or six of them, and they're from the very old, or not very old episodes, but the 90s and early 2000s when the Treehouses of Horror were really good. So definitely worth checking out. Now for the final bit of information in our horror fix, we are rapidly approaching the date for the first episode of MTV's new show, Scream. So if you haven't heard of this show, it of course is based on the movie Scream, which, pretty good, I like the first one, the rest kinda didn't, I could've gone without, I guess. They were alright, they're decent What movies to watch on Halloween, but first one, really good. But this show starring uh, the likes of Willa Fitzgerald, Bex Taylor-Claus, Carlson Young. Well, it's pretty much just a bunch of actors that I've never heard of, so I'm not even going to name anymore. But I saw the trailer for this, and it just looked like they're going to make the first Scream movie dragged out into like a 10-episode season, which doesn't really make sense to me. Um, I mean, the movie was pretty damn good, so you're going to have to live up to that and also stretch it out into 10 episodes. I don't know. The trailer just showed a bunch of things that happened in the first movie, and... I don't know, the mask on the new Scream Killer, kind of, it's kind of, it's off-putting, which is good. I guess it's uh, good that they're not copying it 100%, but I like the old Ghostface mask, so if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But if you're interested in checking this show out, the release date for the first episode is June 30th, so it's approaching quickly, I'm very excited. I'll probably watch it anyways, just at least the first episode, I gotta know if it's good. But hopefully, fingers crossed, don't fuck it up. Don't fuck it up, please. So that does it for our horror fix. Now it's time to go on an adventure, everybody. On a zombie adventure. This is scenario one for Can You Survive the Zombie Apocalypse? By Max Bradley. Prologue. You're 25 years old. You live in a crappy, overpriced studio apartment in Manhattan. You work a corporate job that you're not particularly fond of. Up until now, your day-to-day life offered few surprises. But today, on a hot and humid July morning, zombies have come to Manhattan. 
You have choices to make now, lots of them. Moral dilemmas, strategic decisions, weapons, vehicles. Will you be a hero or will you cover your own ass at all costs? Will you survive the coming hours, days, weeks, or months? Or will you die amidst the chaos and violence of a zombie uprising? Or, worst of all, will you become one of them? The choice is yours. And hey, if you don't make it, you've got no one to blame but yourself. It begins... Will this ever end? These Monday morning meetings always run long. Every damn time. God, in the history of man, has a morning meeting ever not run long? As usual, you overslept, missed the subway, and arrived ten minutes late to work, so you missed the Krispy Kremes and one of the good chairs. Now you're stuck in a tiny little plastic thing you're pretty sure you can hear bending underneath your weight, or maybe that's just the sound of your stomach aching for a donut. Your head's still hurting from Saturday night. Can't drink like you used to college days. Drink, puke, sleep. Drink, puke, sleep. Drink, puke, sleep. Watch some basketball. Drink, puke, sleep. Rinse, repeat. Then graduate three semesters late. Good times. But you're a grown man now. An adult. An adult stuck in a miserable Monday morning meeting with no Krispy Kreme. All you can think about is five o'clock and getting home. Being enveloped by your well-worn but pretty darn comfortable if you don't say so yourself Craigslist couch. Ordering some Chinese, sweet and sour chicken, sauce on the side, fried rice, and an egg roll. Watching some Seinfeld, good stuff. Oh yes, to be home. You pull out your phone, 10.40 a.m. (sighs) Seven more hours to... Suddenly, violently, Angela, the cute brunette receptionist, bursts through a set of double doors and explodes into the conference room. Everyone turns, someone giggles. Confused looks all around. Wide-eyed, Angela stands in the doorway, silent for a moment. Then, um, sorry to interrupt, but I think you need to turn the TV on. Matthew Tripuk, head of marketing, glares from his usual spot at the head of the long conference table. Cool and condescending, Angela, you're interrupting. Prick. The poor girl just ran in here looking like she was going to wet herself. She must have a decent reason. Angela ignores the big boss's dirty look and runs the length of the long conference room to the fat old Mitsubishi TV in the corner, a leftover from the pre-PowerPoint days. The oversized TV sits on a banged-up TV cart. You're pretty sure your middle school had the same one. Someone asks Angela to explain. She doesn't say anything. Continues to work on the TV. A woman at the end of the table, you recognize her from around the office, but don't know her name, gets up and hurries out of the conference room. A few people follow her, headed for their computers to check out CNN.com or MSNBC.com or whatever their news site of choice is. You think terrorists, so does everyone else, most likely. You picture the word, terrorist, bouncing around their collective coffee-fueled brains, along with images of explosions, crumbling buildings, and out-of-control beards. The TV hums to life. One of the local news guys sits at a desk. Again, we don't want to alarm you unnecessarily but our early reports say these patients are exhibiting bizarre, radical, and even violent behavior. The broadcast cuts to an aerial view of Mount Sinai Hospital. You know Mount Sinai, it's about 20 blocks north and a few east from your office. Went there a few years back when you had a hangnail that got infected and your mom convinced you that you were about two days away from needing a full hand and possible arm amputation. Now a shot from the ground, a pretty blonde reporter clearly not ready to be on live TV. A mass of ambulances, cop cars, fire engines, and workers stretch out behind and all around her. 
The flashing red and blue lights strobe across her young, makeup-slathered face. You can make out the hospital about a hundred yards in the distance. She reports, Are we on? I'm on? Ahem, yes, we've just received word that patients are rioting inside the hospital. At this moment, it's still not clear what the cause of the violence is, or how even the hospital employees may be involved. Of course, any news we get will pass along immediately. Again, for those of you just tuning in, you're looking at Mount Sinai Hospital, where violence has reportedly broken out among a number of patients and possibly the hospital staff. An aerial shot now. A dozen police cars have formed a semicircle around the main emergency room entrance. More are arriving. The big sliding doors beneath the emergency sign slide open and out stumbles a young doctor, bleeding from his face, neck, and shoulder. Blood pumps from his wounds, spilling out onto his scrubs. He takes a few shaky steps before collapsing onto the little green Mount Sinai carpet that lies in front of the door. The office is silent for a split second. Then a flurry of, Oh my gods, Jesus Christ, and what the fucks? The woman sitting next to you grabs and holds onto your arm. It's weird. The doctor begins convulsing. Blood streams into the sidewalk and pools at the curb. Then seemingly out of nowhere, a female patient in a hospital gown bursts out from the ER and dives on top of him. The entire conference room gasps. The patient is biting the doctor. No, not just biting. Eating him. Devouring the guy. Tearing into his flesh with her teeth and hands. Clawing at his body. Ripping the skin from his limbs. As she tosses her head back to chew, stringy flesh hangs from her teeth. The screen goes black. For a second, no one says a word. No one is quite able to process what he or she is seeing. Then a large woman, copy editing department you'd think, explodes into tears, hands cupped over her face and rushes out of the room. More follower, reaching for their cell phones as they squeeze past one another out into the hall. The TV picture returns, shakily. The pretty blonde reporter clutches the microphone talking, but there's no sound. There's action in the distance, something happening, all sorts of movements. A mass of people begins to fill the screen behind her. What's happening? Rioting? Maybe. 30 people. No, more. 50. Hospital workers, it looks like. And cops and firefighters running from something. No. Charging. And Christ, what is wrong with these people? Their faces, albino white, twisted, possessed. Splashes of blood on all of them. Some drenched. The reporter, oblivious to the chaos behind her, continues reporting. The cameraman sees what's coming. The screen flashes and the camera falls to the ground, still broadcasting. All you see now is feet. Some shuffling, some running, then suddenly a sickening close-up of the reporter's twisted face and neck as she hits the cement. Someone pounces on her. That pretty blonde hair is torn from her scalp. Teeth dig in. Behind her, the mob continues moving. A heavy work boot tramples the reporter's face, and you see her head partially implode. More follow. Hundreds. Some stumble forward, others run. Awkward, but quick. Finally, the camera's kicked, spins wildly, and a broadcast cuts out. Panic sets in all around you. Chairs hit the floor. A woman screams in pain as a man quick to exit spills her hot coffee on her lap. Crying. The conference room empties. Your co-workers running for their phones and computers. Desperate for news. Desperate to get in touch with their loved ones. You sit in your stupid, uncomfortable chair. Stunned. Unable to move. Words dance around your brain along with images from comics and movies. And then you finally blurt it out to no one in particular. Zombies. Zombies. Zombies, it's the living fucking dead! You can't believe it. You don't believe it. You goddamn won't believe it. But you saw it. 
right there on TV. Have to get up, have to move. You don't trust your legs to hold your body if you stand. For a long moment, you just sit there, still. Sweat gathers on your brow. A drop crawls down your forehead and along your cheek. Finally, you force yourself to stand. You're relieved when you don't fall to the floor. You head for your cubicle. You get to your computer and start typing. Hands are shaking. You're hitting all the wrong keys. You feel weak. You realize you're not breathing. You remind yourself, breathe. You sit down, breathe in and out, calm yourself. You bring up dredgereport.com. You see the red siren, never a good sign. Above, in giant letters, is the headline, Zombies Take Manhattan? A number of smaller links sit below. Walking dead, running dead. Avian bird flu in New York City, developing. 911 reporting of the dead returning to life. Huge horror hoax? Manhattan under siege, developing. Jesus Christ, you have to get the hell out of Manhattan ASAP. You jog to the elevators, the hallway's packed. After the fourth or fifth time the doors open to a full car, you say fuck it, you'll hoof it. You're on the 15th floor. The stairs aren't much better. Dozens of people running down. Someone trips, catches himself, and smacks face first into the wall. He's knocked out cold. You and the others step over him as you continue your descent. The fire alarm screams impossibly loud, along with flashing white lights. Someone opened the emergency doors. You take the stairs two at a time, going over it all in your head, trying to figure out where to go when you hit the street. Million dollar question. You finally get to the ground floor. Co-workers flood past you out the revolving doors. Didn't know they could spin that fast. You nearly lose your hand, pull it back just in time. You and two other guys squeeze into one slot, you being the meat in that sandwich. And a split second later, you're spit out onto 84th Street on the west side. A street you've been on hundreds of times over the course of your short career, but this time, it's unrecognizable. The streets are packed, loud car horns blast, people yell, angry violent screams. And more, it's hot, stinking hot and humid. Air so thick you could cut it with a knife. A New York City July, you think while you sweat. If you think your best chance of getting out of the city via taxi, turn to page 204. If you want to jog the 12 blocks and two avenues to the 72nd Street subway and catch the next train to Brooklyn, turn to page 205. If you want to get back to your apartment ASAP, turn to page 22. And I choose the taxi at page 204. You walk to the corner. The sounds of the pulsing city explode around you, loud enough to wake the dead. Car horns blare, a fire truck races by, people rush about, word is spreading quickly. You pace back and forth on the corner, arm in the air, checking both sides of the intersection. Traffic is at a standstill. You stare down the long avenue, every cab full. This is going to take forever. Voices erupt behind you. A crowd is gathered at the corner bar. Finnerty's, an Irish pub you've walked past hundreds of times before, but never paid any attention to. It's packed to the gills. Outside, people hover at the windows, clamoring for a glimpse of the TV. Hmm, maybe there's some amazing news on TV. Some great update. Like maybe the whole thing was some sort of Orson Welles hoax, and you can go home and, you know, not worry about monsters taking over Manhattan. If you want to investigate the bar and hopefully good news on TV, turn to page 39. If you'd rather wait around and try to get that cab, turn to page 42. I'm choosing the bar on page 39. The bar it is. Praying for good news, you forget the cab and head for the bar. Almost on cue, the crowd thins. People pour through the doorway, poking at their phones. Good sign or bad, you don't know. You step inside and take in the heavy smell of beer and spilt liquor. 
With the TV crowd gone, the majority of those left are the serious drinkers, the lifers. The guys who spend nearly every Monday afternoon in the bar, alone. There's about a dozen of them, most at the bar, a few at the tables in the back. The bouncer, a large, mostly fat black guy in a Joe Namath jersey, types in his Blackberry. What's the news, you ask him? Paying you as little attention as possible, he nods to the TV hanging above the door. Two talking heads at the news desk, trying to look professional, but mostly just looking confused. The broadcast cuts away from the studio to helicopter shots of the city. Different locations, Lincoln Center, Washington Square, Columbus Circle, everywhere the same. Zombies swarming, attacking, feasting. Christ, this can't be real. The broadcast switches locations again. A mass of beasts gathering around Battery Park. Jesus, that's the southern tip of Manhattan, miles away from the hospital. How the hell did they get everywhere so goddamn quickly? Then the broadcast cuts again, this time zombies milling around a deserted subway station. Your stomach turns as you realize that if just one infected person gets on the subway, or bus, or in a cab, shit, they could get anywhere. God, these things could be on a plane off to Argentina, or Timbuktu, or who the fuck knows where. You're having trouble breathing now, chest tight. You catch your reflection in the mirror behind the bar. You look like you've just caught a sucker punch from Mike Tyson. Everyone else wears a similar look. Like maybe Mike Tyson ran around the bar real quick and sucker punched everybody. Even the old vets, the seen everything and drank their way through it all guys, just had stunned looks on their rough, withered faces. Staring at the mirror, you start to zone out, hypnotizing yourself almost. Anything to not have to look at that TV, or hear the news, or think about what's happening outside, or imagine the nightmares the future holds. Someone bumps into you and brushes you aside, snapping you out of your trance. A bony, thin guy, late 20s in a slick suit with slicker hair, Wall Street all the way. You wonder what he's doing up here during work hours. Everything financial is below 59th. Maybe his doorman caught him on his way out of his fancy pre-war apartment building, told him something was going on. Or maybe his coke dealer's in the neighborhood and he's chasing a Monday morning high. He pushes past you and edges up the bar, raises a wad of cash in the air. Hey honey, he calls, waving the cash at the bartender. You notice the bartender for the first time. She's a knockout. Petite, five feet at the most. Natural blonde hair. Tiny Derek Jeter shirt hugs a pair of gotta be fake tits. She walks the length of the bar and eyes Wall Street, unimpressed. Yeah? He drops two crisp $100 bills onto the bar, flashes her a toothy smile, and announces loudly, World's ending. Drinks are on me, kitties. If you want to stay at the bar and take Wall Street up on his offer for free drinks, turn to page 212. If you'd rather forget the bar and try to figure out a way out of the city, turn to page 130. Think I'll take a drink. Turning to page 212. What's one drink? Wall Street slides the two crisp $100 bills across the bar and tells the bartender to bring everyone a shot of tequila. Judging by the look on her face, the bartender finds this guy to be just about as charming as you do. But she takes the money anyways. She pulls a bottle of two-finger tequila from beneath the bar. Nah, nah. Come on. What do I look like here? Top shelf, Wall Street says. She shoots you a look. You smile and shrug. Get a nice little warm feeling inside. Goes well with the rising hell outside. She grabs a bottle of Patron Silver from high up on the top shelf behind her, asks Wall Street if it's good enough for him, then makes her way down the bar pouring the liquor. The drunks are quite pleased. They take their shots and knock them back. Some turn their attention back to the TV. Others stare ahead. And a few trade war stories. You take yours. It burns. You want a lime wedge but are too afraid to ask for one. 
when was the last time you took a shot at noon? Well, actually, not at all that long ago. Anthony, the cute bartender says to the bouncer, nodding to the bottle. He lets out a low rumble that could technically be considered a sigh and strides over to the bar. Why not, he says. She smiles. That's my guy. She pours a shot for herself and a shot for him. You watch, not hiding your interests. You, she says, looking you in the eyes. You stumble. Huh? Another jackass? You want another? Oh, sure, yeah. She pours you a second shot. Me too, hun, Wall Street says, leaning over you, trying to push you out of the picture. You put your elbows on the bar and edge forward. She pours him one. To the apocalypse, he says, and takes his shot. You, the bartender, and the bouncer wait. Then you take yours a beat later, leaving him to drink alone. He's too caught up in himself to notice. The liquor burns a hole in your gut. You bring your gaze back to the TV. The images on the television are horrific, and these are all the places you know, places you've been, and it's pure carnage. War, police fighting, firing, sometimes seeming to win the battle, other times being overwhelmed. The drunk to your left, huge guy, comb over, gasps as the broadcast cuts to a horde of the beasts outside the biggest supermarket on 83rd. Fuck me, that's six blocks from here. You hear the chopping sound of a helicopter overhead, the same helicopter broadcasting on the TV, you realize. Yes, these things are close. A woman's scream cuts through the air, from the street. The bouncer, Anthony, darts outside, moving quick for a big man. A minute later, he returns and slams the door behind him. Hey, what are you? Someone says. Shut up, he says. Listen, those things are outside and they're headed this way. Anyone wants out, go now, because I'm locking it up. Before anyone answers, there's a banging noise at the door behind him. Anthony throws his back against it. Even if you wanted to leave now, you couldn't. A wall of people have gathered outside, pounding the door, screaming to be let inside. You watch Anthony intently. He breathes heavily in and out, appears to be thinking hard. Finally, he takes his weight off the door and it flies open, sending half a dozen people spilling inside. Immediately, the others in the street rush for the door and the safety of the bar. Anthony slams the door shut in the face of 20 screaming, begging voices. One, an elderly woman, pleading. He throws all his weight into the door, shuts his eyes and pushes. Let them inside. A woman behind you cries. More people gather at the window outside, tugging on the bars that cover it. But there's no time. The creatures are now upon them, devouring them, teeth ripping through flesh, hands pulling and tearing. A drunk behind you drops his glass. You want to move, do something, anything. But you don't. You just watch. One poor bastard's face is pressed against the door's rectangular microwave-sized window. He and Anthony make eye contact, the man beseeching him to help. Then the glass gives and the man's upper half bursts through. Shards of glass tear him to pieces. Shredded skin hangs from his face and his arms. He whimpers. Then, after a long, horrific moment, he goes silent. Anthony steps away from the door and brings his arms crashing down upon the hinged wooden divider that keeps the drunks from going behind the bar and pouring their own whiskey sours. It splinters at its hinges. He twists it off. Rachel, behind the bar, the toolbox, he shouts. The pretty bartender, Rachel, apparently does as she's told. Most everyone else has moved to the back of the bar. You remain frozen in the middle. Anthony throws his shoulder into the door and wedges his foot against the corner of the bar. The door shakes, but it holds. More creatures come. Dead hands reach through the window. One grabs his arm, tears the flesh. Anthony howls. The door bucks and bends, but it won't hold for long. He picks up the two-inch thick piece of wood, grabs a hammer and some nails from the toolbox, and turns to work on the door. 
Blocking his progress is a chunk of messy gore that was once a man. Anthony grabs the dead man by his hair, lifts him up by the head, and tries to push him back onto the sidewalk. Suddenly, the dead man's face jerks to life. His eyes light up like headlights in a graveyard. Anthony jumps back as the man, his head and shoulders trapped in the tight frame of the window, snaps his teeth. His veins pop, his eyes bulge, the blood stops dripping. It turns a dark, reddish black. It's a horrific scene. This snapping, bloodthirsty face is the centerpiece, an entire street full of undead beasts as the backdrop. Anthony brings the hammer down hard upon the thing's head. No beauty to it, no precision, just heavy wax to the thing's skull. Blow after blow after blow. Chunks of skin and skull and brain splash the wall and the floor. The head bobs, wounded, broken. Anthony raises the hammer high, pauses, then brings it down with all his might. The thing's skull shattered and goes limp. Anthony twirls the hammer in his hand, hooks the dead thing's nostrils with the nail claw, and lifts it up and out of the window. But there's no rest. Behind it, more of the walking dead approach. Quickly, Anthony throws up the wood, puts two nails into the top, and begins hammering. After a few more nails, the small window is covered, but the door continues to throb and creak as the beasts press. Someone get over here, he shouts. This ain't gonna hold for long. No one moves. No one says a fucking thing. Inside the bar, all is quiet, except for the howl of Merle Haggard on the jukebox. Anthony points at you with his hammer. Now! Man up and help the bouncer barricade the door, or run for the bathroom and lock yourself in and pray to God that everything will be okay. Well, in the words of Josh Gad, There's a time in your life when you know you got to man up. So we're going to page 141. Rio Bravo. You literally have to tell your feet, move. You bark at them like an insane drill sergeant. Move, goddammit, move! And unbelievably, they do. Anthony has his shoulder against the door and his foot wedged against the bar for leverage. That bar stool there, give it to me, he says. The door bucks again and he's almost thrown back. You grab the stool and try to wedge it up underneath the handle. The door is kicking, making it damn near impossible. Come on, goddammit, he barks. Finally, the door holds still, long enough for you to squeeze the seat up beneath the door handle. Good, now move the pool table from the back. Get it up here, Anthony says. Feeling useful now, empowered, you jog to the back of the bar. Everyone gets out of your way. You go back to the second section of the bar and into a small gaming area. Darts, big buck hunter, two pool tables. You tug at the table, way too heavy. You walk back into the bar. Hey, someone help me here. No one moves. Anthony speaks up. You get over there and help the kid, now. He's talking to Wall Street. Wall Street glares. Anthony glares back, harder. Wall Street removes his suit jacket, hangs it gently over the bar stool, and begrudgingly does as he's told. Together, you struggle to move the table. Four others come to help. Thankfully, it's a fairly cheap table. Ten sweat-soaked minutes later, you have it, lengthwise against the door. You step back, satisfied. No way that door's getting open now. You take a seat at the bar and catch your breath. Wall Street continues to buy rounds. Beer now, and you continue to drink them down. So does everyone else. The jukebox plays on. Time passes. Two drunks get in a fight, arguing over the day's events. The little one shoves the big one. Anthony steps in, breaks it up. Minutes later, they get into another fight, this time about the jets. Anthony steps in again, tells them the next person that causes a problem is getting fed to the wolves. That stops them. The pricks on TV say sit tight, everything will be okay. There are no more shots of gore and violence. Then they stop showing the city altogether can't be a good sign. You finish what must be your sixth or seventh beer. 
Anthony and the pretty bartender, Rachel, sit by the bar's large front window, peering through the neon beer sign-covered glass. Heavy metal bars crisscross the windows, keeping you safe. You walk over. Even in the midst of this nightmare, you can't help but notice she has a rear end like a perfectly inflated basketball. What do you see, you ask? They both look at you, silent for a moment. Then Anthony says, Those things. Can I get a look? He shrugs and steps back, and you squeeze in next to Rachel. She smells like cherry fun dip and tequila. Yum. You give her an awkward smile, then press your face against the glass. The mini erection that the bartender had given you shrivels up like a worm on a hot sidewalk. Through the neon-tinted glass, you take in a scene that reminds you of Dante's Inferno. Of course, only the Spark Notes version you read in college. Cars burn. Monsters feast on bodies. You can see clearly into the bank across the street. Someone's looking out, right at you, scared shitless, just like you. The song on the jukebox fades. Without the music to drown everything out, the horror is amplified. You hear the screams of a woman. You press your face against the glass to look to the right, down the street. She lies on her back, three of those things devouring her. She's still alive, screaming, as the two dig at her open chest and her guts spill out across the cement. The third beast, a homeless man, claws and bites at her legs. Her dress blows in the wind. Rachel looks away. She walks to the tip jar behind the bar, pours out a handful of quarters, and goes to the jukebox. A minute later, the music mercifully returns. Jimmy Page's heavy guitar drowns out the screams of horror outside. Anthony steps behind the counter and pours two drinks. You take one. Whole lot of love ends. You can hear the jukebox working, grabbing for a new CD. Then you hear something else. A thump. Another thump. Then moaning. You spin. The back door. Fuck. Anthony hears it too. He rushes around the bar, grabs you, and says, come on. You walk through the bar into the second room and to the door. The moaning is loud. Shadows beneath the doorway. On the other side of this door is a hallway. At the end of the hallway is a door to the alley where we bring the kegs and shit in, Anthony says. You nod and run your hand over the door. The door is hollow, the wood thin. You could probably put a fist through it. We have to kill them, you say. We don't know how strong those things are. Could be strong enough to break right through. We don't want to wait around to find out. You take a look at the back of the bar. Bunch of drunken bums. Wall Street's passed out in the corner. Rachel plays with her keys. Useless, all of them. And I think it's just you and me, you say. Anthony nods, then walks past the pool table and through a door that says employees only. He returns a second later, carrying a power drill. You're going to kill all of them with that, you ask? No, but I'm not running in there blind. He turns the drill on. The roar of it startles you. He brushes you aside and presses the drill against the door. In a second, he drilled a small hole at eye level. He peers through. What do you see, you ask? Not much. Hit the light switch. You hit the switch behind you. The bar lights go out. Rachel screams. Other one. My bad. You turn the bar lights back on and hit the switch next to it. Anthony keeps his eye on the door for a good 20 seconds, then pulls away. You give him a questioning look. See for yourself, he says. Slowly and scared out of your mind, you press your eye to the hole. Zombies, lots of them. The rear door is open to the street. No action back there, though. None of them seem to be coming or going. You count. There are 11 of those things milling around back there. The hallway is narrow. That's the one thing that works in our favor. The beasts won't be able to get to you all at once. It will allow you to deal with them one or two at a time. You pull your eye away. Follow me, Anthony says. The two of you walk to the employees-only room. It's a small office. A tiny green couch left over from the 80s, lots of metal cabinets, 
Two lockers in the corner, a desk, papers scattered about, along with various other junk that accumulates in a dive bar. We don't have no secret armory full of Uzis, AKs, and rocket launchers that's gonna help us. This is what we got. I don't see much. That's cause we don't got much. First this. He lays the drill down on the desk. And this. He pulls the hammer from his belt and lays it on the desk. It's the hammer he killed the zombie with earlier. Small bits of flesh and hair still stuck to the head. A piece of skin on the nail claw. He walks out of the room and returns a moment later. Lays a pool cue down on the table. It rolls to the side, hits the hammer. And this. He messes with a padlock on one of the lockers. Pulls out a large cherry red fire axe. I'll take that. Nope, this one's mine, he says, laying it on the table. What? You're three times the size of me. Plus you're good with the hammer. You already killed one with it. I can't even hang up a fucking poster in my apartment and I got two hammers. He thinks for a second. We'll see. You look at the items scattered on the table. Is that it, you've asked finally? Afraid so. You think for a second. Hang on. You grab the axe, leaving the office, and walk across a small dance floor area and into the game room. Two bright orange plastic shotguns rest in the slots on the big Buck Hunter arcade machine, locked on with heavy plastic ties. You raise the axe and bring it crashing down, severing the tie. You pull the toy gun out of its holster. From the office doorway, Anthony nearly doubles over laughing. The fuck you gonna do with a toy gun? You shrug. I don't know, maybe it'll scare them. They think it's real or something. You know, learn traits, memory, that shit. He laughs. Okay, your funeral. So what you want? Think carefully, kid. This could be the last decision you ever make. Take the pool cue and big buck hunter shotgun. Take the hammer and the drill. Argue for the fire axe. I'm definitely taking the fucking big buck hunter shotgun. Booyah! Turn to page 241. The pool cue and the big buck hunter shotgun. You take the pool cue from the table, slip it into your belt, and grab the big buck hunter shotgun. You stand at the door to the hallway. You can hear the things beyond it. Okay, Anthony says. If your little idea about a toy gun is right, then that's a big help. So you're going first. Anthony unlocks the door. You let out a long, slow breath of air. For a moment you feel brave, like you've got it all under control. You know that moment and that feeling won't last, so you have to ride this wave while you can. With everything you've got, you kick open the door. It hits one of the zombies, sending it stumbling back. You raise your gun and cock it. Then you remember it's fake, and cocking it's so ridiculous. But you keep it raised, stick it right in the face of the first zombie, and... It doesn't do a damn thing. You could be pointing a feather duster for all it cares. It lunges at you. You grab the buck hunter gun with both hands and block its attack. It pushes you back and crashes to the ground on top of you, lashing away with vicious teeth. Fear pumps through you. Behind it, you see the others approaching. You struggle. Fucking stupid toy gun. What the hell were you thinking? Suddenly, blood sprays out from the beast's back like it just spouted a pair of red wings. Anthony stands above you. He wrenches the axe out of the creature's back, then yanks the zombie off you. You're barely back on your feet when another lunges. It goes for Anthony. You drop the gun and swing the pool cue across your body, catching the beast on the side of its head, just before he has a chance to bury his teeth in Anthony's shoulder. The thing smacks into the wall. You give it four more hard hits to the head and it drops. Anthony takes the lead now, swinging the fire axe. He decapitates one, splits another one's head open down the middle like a coconut. Has to jerk and wiggle the axe to get it free. He catches the next one on the side, dropping it. It squirms to the floor. You go to work on its head, bashing it with the pool cue until it stops moving. 
You continue down the hall like this, Anthony keeping them at a distance with long, lethal swings of the axe. Those that he maims, you finish off. Finally, there's only one left. Tall guy in a gray suit. Looks a bit like your old high school principal, if your old high school principal had one arm and half a throat. This one's clearly hasn't learned a damn thing from any of his friends. It charges, Anthony swings, and misses. The blade goes over its head. The beast hits Anthony square in the chest, digs his teeth in Anthony's side. Anthony howls, tries to push it off. Instead, he trips and falls back. You crack the pool cue over the beast's head. It does nothing, continues feasting. You turn to run. Fuck, Anthony's hands around your ankle. Help me, he says, blood coming from his mouth. Help me. Oh, God. You try to shake free. Can't. His fingers squeeze. You can't move. Can only watch. The thing works its way up Anthony's body. Foreplay almost. Then digs into his neck. Blood spills. Anthony's hand opens. Releases you. Thank God. You turn to run back. You need reinforcements. Then something tackles you from behind. It digs its teeth into your back. And just as suddenly, it's gone. You roll over. Anthony stands over you. His eyes are milky, unfocused. They dart around, looking over you. Then he bends over, grabs you by the waist with his huge hands, and picks you up. He wraps his arms around and squeezes. All the air shoots out of your chest. You can't breathe. You kick, struggle, anything to get free. Don't want to die like this, but you're going to. Anthony squeezes tighter. You hear a crack. Pain shoots through your chest. Then he opens his massive jaw, brings his head forward, so it's just an inch from yours and then he sinks his teeth into your face. We fucking died. So that's one of the many scenarios of Max Brellier's uh, Can You Survive the Zombie Apocalypse? Uh, let me know if you guys like that. I can always do another one. I know there's some pretty fucking awesome ones, including going to Comic-Con, which kind of wish we went to Comic-Con. That one was pretty awesome. You get to go to like the Nintendo tent and PS3 tent, Sony, whatever. But I don't know. I really like that. Um... For that story, though, I kind of wish it would have been a bit longer. Oh, shit, we're like 42 minutes in already. Whatever, it was, uh, I guess it was decently long. But, I don't know, I always want more, especially with zombie shit like that. But I think it was pretty good. That particular story, I'll give about a 6.5, because what kind of idiot goes in with a big buck shotgun? But I guess I chose that, so I'm, I'm the idiot. Fuck. But since we're about 40-something minutes into this episode, uh, I'm not going to read another creepypasta, or I'm not going to read a creepypasta. Save that for the next episode. Um, but I am going to rate and review an awesome graphic novel for you guys. So I just finished reading the graphic novel V Wars Crimson Queen by Jonathan Mayberry. This is just the first volume. It's going to be a series, so I'll probably have to pick up whatever comes out after this. Because, you know what? It was pretty good. Um, I love zombie, or not zombies. I'm just still thinking about the zombie apocalypse book. I love vampire stuff, as long as they're not the gay Twilight-ass vampires that sparkle. Shit's gay. I'm more into the blade vampires or... Even uh, even uh, Vampire in Brooklyn, Eddie Murphy. Not sure how many people get that reference, but whatever. Uh, this was pretty good. Uh, on the cover, it's kind of said to be a big wartime conspiracy wrapped in a vampire package, and that's exactly what it is. Lots of conspiracy going on, lots of background shit. It's not just like you're straightforward, oh, there's zombies, we have to kill them. Like, there's smart zombies, there's regular zombies that are just like regular people trying to live in society, which is really cool, but... It kind of the story follows this professor who's a little bitch. Um, the professor is uh, Luther Swan. 
he's the utmost professional on myths and mythical creatures. So for some reason, he's advising the president and shit for for vampires. Kind of gay, but the story it's not that bad. The story's pretty good. Um, but the things I didn't like about it was. Um, this guy, Luther Swan, he's like a professor, but he goes out with SWAT teams unarmed because he's like, oh, I'm not going to kill these vampires. But he goes to these fucking raids to kill vampires like an idiot. Like it, that part didn't make any sense. But there's also a love interest with this reporter. And there's a couple pretty big twists in this book. Like it's divided into chapters, so it flows really nice. And they managed to fit two pretty big twists. I was able to call one in my head, but I'm not going to spoil that for you. If you want to check it out, it's V-Wars by Jonathan Mayberry. But back to the kind of plot of the story. Um, this professor, he's trying to work to a resolution to get vampires and humans to work together. But whenever they start to become close, something happens like um, someone will blow up a building. Someone will assassinate a president maybe. I don't know. Speculation. And... Neither side supposedly is actually doing these things. There's like these secret um, underground organizations running this stuff. But I'm going to leave that for you to find out if that's real or not because crazy shit. But I liked how the uh, disease for the vampires was created in this book. Um, it's from the melting polar ice. It activated a gene in us that we didn't know we had. Uh, so I don't know. It was a pretty cool take on it. And... Um, some of the things I liked about this book is that there's a bunch of different vampire variations. It's not just regular-ass vampires. There's, like, all these crazy ones, like, um, that look like bats. And then there's actually vampire zombies that talk. That part's pretty fucking amazing. Um, some of the things I didn't like, I talked about the professor being a little bitch going into these combat situations unarmed. Some parts are a little corny, and then there's some parts that are a little preachy. But all around, it's a pretty good story. Uh, the artwork's amazing. Um, so the way I rate uh, graphic novels, I go story quality, the artwork, idea, and scariness. There's 2.5 for all of them. So for the quality of the story, I gave it a 2. The artwork, I gave it a 2. I love the artwork. There's a lot of gore. I mean, like, the first chapter of this uh, graphic novel is, like, 95% just killing fucking vampires and then about 5% politics and it skews to the other side of the scale the further you go in the book. So that kind of sucks. I like when just shit dies, but I guess that would be sacrificing a good story. But then the idea, I uh, gave a two as well because I like the take on these vampires. I like how it, the gene in us was activated somehow through melting of polar ice caps. And then the scariness, I gave a 1.5 because... It's pretty scary to start, but then it just gets uh, a little politic-y, I guess. That's not a word, but I'll use it in this situation. You guys know what I mean. But I gave this a total of 7.5 out of 10. Definitely check this out. This is also a pretty cheap graphic novel. Um, it's $10, Canadian or American, and it's pretty fucking – it's a pretty packed graphic novel. There's – over 100 pages. There's like 113, 114 pages. And for a good-sized graphic novel, uh, those are usually like 17 bucks. So whether Canadian or American, V-Wars by Jonathan Mayberry, only 10 bucks. So make sure you check that out. But that does it for this episode of Pass the Time Podcast. I hope you guys liked it. If you guys... Uh, liked this uh, choose your own adventure zombie apocalypse thing uh, let me know tweet me at past or at past the podcast uh, message me through Facebook send me an email at past the time podcast and let me know if you want me to read more 
because, I don't know, I thought this was kind of fun, and if you guys enjoyed it, then I'll do it again, of course. But also, if you want to check out this book, it is called Can You Survive the Zombie Apocalypse by Max Brallier. So it's spelled M-A-X-B-R-A-L-L-I-E-R. You can get it on indigo.ca, Amazon, but it is one of the best zombie books ever because you get to take part in it. So much fun. Just buy it, and then we could talk about it. Kind of. On Twitter. I don't know. I don't know. Love you guys. See you next time, and try not to have too many nightmares. <laughs>